Here at Waterstone, we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve sacrificially. We are so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we gather on Saturdays at 5.30 and Sundays in person and online at 10. We look forward to connecting with you. So it's my privilege to introduce our preacher this morning and our preaching team, Kat Sichon. Now, let me say a few things about Kat. She's been on our staff here at Waterstone as elementary director for almost the last four years. A lot of kids in the room. Kids, will you give Miss Kat a hand because you know her. She ministers into your life each week. Another thing we would say about Kat is she's a graduate of the Master's in Theology degree of Dallas Seminary. As much as it pains this Denver Seminary grad to say that, Kat is actually the most formally educated person on our staff. Lastly, Kat is married to Danny, and they have three beautiful sons. Would you welcome Kat as she brings the word this morning? Good morning. As Larry said, my name is Kat Sichon, and most weeks I have the privilege to spend Sunday mornings with our first through fourth grade families and our kids. And let me tell you, if you ever have a chance to come up on that hallway, the things that God is doing in our kids' lives and through our kids is something you don't want to miss. So I would invite you on a Sunday to come up and see what we're doing there. But I also love having the opportunity, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here today, to be here bringing a parable that is all about small things and their great potential. So before we jump into it, would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for your word that is living and active to teach us, encourage us, correct us, grow us, and bring us together. God, we pray as we look into your word today and hear another parable about your kingdom, God, that we would be listening for what your spirit wants to teach us and that we would be inspired to move and be part of what your kingdom work is about. God, thank you for the privilege to be here today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. To start off this morning, I have a question for you. What couldn't you wait for when you grew up? For all of our kids in the room, what is it that you just can't wait for when you grow up? Maybe it's getting to drive, getting your driver's license. Maybe it's getting to babysit or just be left home, right? The responsibility of that. Maybe for some of you, it's just nobody's calling you a little kid anymore. I know, I have little kids, they can't wait for that title to go away, right? For those of you who are a little bit further removed from adulthood, I bet when I asked the question, you could remember, what was it that you couldn't wait for when you grew up? For those of you who are maybe even a little bit further removed from your childhood, what are you still looking forward to? What are you looking ahead to? Maybe it's retirement. I heard some yeses in there. (laughs) Maybe it's having grandkids. Some of you are going, no, please not yet. I'm not there. Let me have my time. And that's okay. But all of us are looking forward to something. We're waiting for that day when, right? We live in results 
oriented culture. We like to know what's coming. We like to know what's going to happen and how we're going to get there. We, we want to know. We make bucket lists. We pick our classes. We hire financial advisors and vacation planners. We use apps that promise us we can do just about anything if we follow these steps for the next eight weeks. We, we dangle that carrot in front of us that someday when it all comes together, that's what we're going for. And we pursue that relentlessly. And now, this isn't a bad thing on its own. We have it hardwired in us to be looking ahead, to look for something. King Solomon, when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he was taking a hard look at the function and the purpose of life. And one of the observations he made, he says in chapter 3, he says, we, we are here. And he said, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has set eternity in the human heart. You see, we're, we're looking forward ahead to something. We get excited about moving that way because God, who created us, has put that in our hearts. So with, with this mindset, we come to the parable of the mustard seed, and it, it seems obvious at first. It almost seems too easy. A seed is planted, and there's a lot of growth. We like this. There's nothing immediately that confronts us or that confuses us. It fits really nicely into our framework of do a little bit of work, and great things are going to happen. So why this parable? Why did Jesus put it here? If parables are meant to challenge our thinking and provoke us towards something, what is Jesus doing here? Let's go ahead and take a look at the first verse of our parable. In Matthew 13, 31, he says, He gave them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man sowed in his field. The kingdom of God has small beginnings. We're well into Jesus' parables at this point, and this isn't the first time that he's used the imagery of a seed or sowing to talk about growth and kingdom. It is unusual, then, that he has another parable that starts off with a seed and some growth. What is unexpected about this parable is that Jesus is describing the kingdom of God as small. For a little bit of context, in the Gospel of Matthew, his audience was mostly Jewish people. They were people whose families had for generations been waiting and longing for a Messiah. They were expecting a revolutionary king who would come and upend the current powers and reign as an intimidating show of God's power. That's what they were looking for. Have you ever been waiting for something for a really long time? For some of our kids, maybe it's waiting for summer break. Maybe it's waiting until the day you tur 
or turn 18 and you're an adult. Maybe you're waiting for the promotion at work or a vacation that you've been planning for a really long time. Maybe it hits a little bit deeper and you're waiting for the day you get married or you're waiting for having a baby. When we wait for things, it creates an intense expectation. We have the time, the longer we wait, to create these really powerful ideas of what that thing is going to look like when it's finally there, when we've gotten there. This was true for the Israelites. They had been waiting for generations. They had a long time to dream up what it was going to be like when the Messiah would come and the kingdom would be here. And for someone to come along and say that this kingdom that they'd been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years is small would have shocked them. It would have left them going, what? How could you possibly say that it's small and <laughs> they would have been really stuck when larry started our series on the parables he explained that the israelites were looking for a kingdom like a rock he they were looking for something that was going to transform the landscape with power if you've ever been tilling ground or even just running a lawnmower and you hit a rock it, it bumps into it, right? It stops you. It changes things. It breaks up the ground. And that's what they were looking for, something that would be radically different. And instead, Jesus comes along, and he says the kingdom's going to be a seed. It's going to transform the land through the process of growth over time into something new. To give a little bit of context, mustard was a pretty familiar crop in the area, so the seed and its size would have been pretty recognizable. It's like we say a drop in the ocean or a grain of sand. And we tend to associate small things with less than, right? Insignificant. We don't want to stay little because we want to grow up. We want to grow our wealth, we want to grow our families, we want to grow our businesses, we want to grow our churches. We want things to grow, and we think to be small is somehow to be lacking. Have you ever seen the show Shark Tank? My husband loves that show, and as a result, I've had a chance to watch a few episodes. If you're not familiar with it, the premise is you have these wealthy investors who sit in these very intimidating chairs, and they sit, and entrepreneurs come to pitch their businesses in hopes that they'll get that investment to grow. And I will tell you, sometimes the people who come out and their businesses, they're so young, or their ideas just seem so small, or sometimes, and this is honestly the part that impresses me the most, it's kids. Young kids who come out bravely in front of very intimidating looking adults and pitch their ideas. And sometimes when you watch the show, you're like, there is no way that this small thing, this small idea, could possibly turn into a multi-million dollar empire. And I'm always shocked at how often I'm wrong. The idea of waiting or wanting to grow up or wanting to be more than, it, it just increases this impatience for getting there. Sometimes at the cost of appreciating the beginning 
or where we're at now. When we look at this first verse again, we see that this isn't a gardening how-to. It doesn't talk about the condition of the soil. It doesn't talk about the growing conditions, the qualifications of the farmer. It doesn't talk about anything other than simply a seed was sown in a field. Now, the beginning of the seed isn't the emphasis in this parable, but it isn't left out either. When Jesus came, he cast vision for what the kingdom would be, but he didn't just snap his fingers and make it happen. He himself came as a tiny baby who grew into the man who would deliver these parables and talk to the crowds and teach. During his ministry, he planted his seeds with often small, seemingly insignificant moments, ordinary things with people who, let's be honest, a lot of their culture would have said are the small, insignificant ones. The kingdom of God has small beginnings. What Jesus did when he started wasn't extravagant, but it was essential. Our first verse in this parable, like the seed that it describes, is small. So we're going to take a look now at the second verse and see what comes of our mustard seed. Matthew 13, 32 says, It is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. I think it's interesting that somewhat awkwardly, Jesus now explicitly says it's the smallest of all seeds. We can't ignore the fact that he's wanting us to pay attention to the small beginning, even if we don't stay there. Now, we also can't ignore the fact that he calls the mustard seed the smallest of all seeds. For any of you who are botanists, who grow things, or even cook with mustard, you might be going, I've seen smaller seeds before. I've planted smaller seeds. I've looked at them. Jesus isn't here to give us a science lesson on the, and the accuracy of the size of the seed. Kids, I want to ask you in the room for a second, how many of you have ever said, aren't you just the cutest thing? Oh, you're just the sweetest. Oh, isn't he just the tiniest? Adults, how many of you have said that to someone before? Either a kid or a puppy, right? They might be very cute and very sweet and very tiny, but when we're saying that, we're not actually meaning they are, in fact, the cutest, the tiniest, the sweetest. It's, it's a phrase. It's a way to describe and notice as opposed to declare a fact. And this is what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's saying it's the smallest thing, it is the tiniest thing, and then he contrasts it by saying it becomes the largest of garden plants. He's getting in our head this idea of what it began as is significantly different from what it will become. Because when the kingdom grows, when it had small, tiny beginnings and it was seen as insignificant and small, the kingdom will one day surpass all expectations. Before I worked here and before I had my sons, I was a fourth and fifth grade teacher in Douglas County. And I, when I came to do grades, 
one of the options they gave us was to mark something as exceeds expectations. And that meant in this particular area, the child went above and beyond grade level, above and beyond what was expected, beyond the minimum. Now, you can say all you want about grading system, especially in elementary school. I have thoughts on that too. But when I was there and I didn't have a choice, I made sure that every child in my class had something marked as exceeds expectations. Something, some area where it's like they've done more than what's expected. And can I tell you, the day after report cards would go out, the kids who it might have been a little bit more challenging to find that one area, but they came back, their faces would just be so bright and so happy. Miss Cat, can you believe it? I got an exceeds expectations on something. And they forgot that I was the one that gave them to that. So I knew, but they were so proud and they were so excited to have just one thing that someone noticed in them that said, you've done more. It made all the difference. When we're talking about God's kingdom, it isn't one area. It isn't even a few areas. God's kingdom will surpass expectations in every area. Take a look at this picture of a fully mature mustard plant. Our verse said the seed grows into this. It's the largest of garden plants. It is a plant of significant presence. And the second part of our verse says that it grows into a tree so that birds will perch in its branches. This is really, honestly, the first time that there's any confusion that comes into the parable. Because Jesus has he's used this color, colorful language to say the smallest seed and the largest plant. And while he know, we know he's not being scientifically descriptive, we can generally follow along with what he's saying and why. But then all of a sudden, Jesus says it's going to grow into a tree. Mustard plants do not grow into trees. They're large shrubs. And even though, like Maya said, they can be over 10 feet tall, they can be, ma excuse me, they can be massive, they're not trees. So why would Jesus turn the mustard seed into something else? Some commentators argue that this is a reference to the Old Testament, to the book of Ezekiel, where God describes the reformed kingdom as this cedar tree that will be expansive and bear fruit and birds will perch in its branches. My guess is, is that some of the original audience, when they heard this, it might have sounded familiar. They might have been like, oh yeah, remember that one thing that we, we read? But that really isn't the point here. Jesus isn't trying to connect to the Old Testament. He's not trying to make this direct connection to a specific prophecy. He's trying to help us understand that when the kingdom is fully grown, it's going to be more than it was ever deemed possible. It was going to be more than anticipated. You see, mustard seeds and their plants had and continue to have a wide variety of uses. 
We primarily use it as a condiment or as a spice. But in first century world, they would often also use it for medicinal purposes. They would use it to help with digestion or infection. It was a plant that already had a number of uses, but Jesus says it's not only is it going to be what we can see and what we know, it's going to be even more. It's going to have an additional layer of what it's there for. And when he says it's a tree that the birds will come and perch in its branches, he's saying not only is this going to be something that nourishes and supplies a way of life, it's going to be something that protects and provides shelter. My little boys, who are three and five, are experts in finding new uses for household items. Um, yeah. My favorite thing, my favorite thing, is that I had absolutely no idea how many things you could do with a salad spinner before my little boys came around. And let me tell you, there are a lot of things besides spin salad you can do with it. They love this idea of taking something that we all know what it's for and saying, what else can it be? Sometimes they actually come up with pretty good ideas and it's like, oh, okay, we could try that. Sometimes we say, well, that was fun. And it goes back in the drawer and it goes back to what it was made for. When Jesus describes the kingdom, he says we're going to get way more than we ever expected. And he doesn't say, well, let's give it a try. He doesn't sit there and go, huh, this is curious. When Jesus says the kingdom is going to be more than we can expect, what it offers in its presence and its function, especially in its fullness, is extensive. So what does this look like when it comes to the kingdom? How will this fully grown kingdom go beyond our expectations? At its fulfillment, the kingdom of God will encompass every nation and every tongue. Can you imagine sitting here with a family that's filled with every personality, every appearance? It isn't sidetracked by arguments, or allegiances, because everyone will follow the true king. No part of our world will remain untouched by the gospel. And hear this, no division will be greater than the radical reconciliation and peace found in Jesus. Imagine the word of God being respected instead of questioned. The worship of God being the standard instead of the exception. Revelation describes the fully realized kingdom as new. A place with no more tears, no more mourning or death, sickness or sadness, crying or pain. Are you sitting here today feeling like you're on the outside? Feeling like you don't fit? Jesus says his kingdom is an invitation to the inner circle. Are you sitting here today grieving? You're in pain, you're experiencing loss. Jesus says that as impossible as it might feel right now, one day the kingdom will be a place 
where all will be redeemed. There will be no more lostness or brokenness. God's kingdom didn't start like people expected it to, and when it's fully grown, it will be more incredible than we could ever imagine. The vision of the kingdom when it's mature isn't just some picture that we put on the wall or something that we just think about as a nice idea when life feels hard. It is a promise secured by Jesus. This short parable isn't a parable of magic or miracles or maybes. The work happens. The time is invested. The plant is guaranteed to thrive. Could you imagine if our gardening was like that? I've been trying for the past three years to get a garden to grow on my back deck. I'm hopeful. Maybe this year I'll have something that I can harvest. But I know a lot of you are actually very accomplished gardeners. You do really well with your gardens. But even for those of you who have the greenest of thumbs, could you imagine if you had a guarantee that every seed you put in the dirt would produce a harvest? Our gardening isn't like that. It's dependent on so many things, and it can change with a drop of hail. <laughs> what we read here, though, is this is a parable of certainty. It may seem impossible or like it's taking too long and it's never going to happen. You might be sitting here thinking, but we feel so much farther away from seeing your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It almost feels like we're walking farther away from that instead of getting closer to it. But God didn't choose to grow his kingdom intentionally or instantly. God didn't choose to grow his kingdom instantly. He chose to he chose to grow it intentionally. When we sang firm foundation at the start of the service, we sang he's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? And then we responded with he won't. He won't. So where does this lead us when it comes to that kingdom crisis moment? As we've been walking through the parables, we've been trying to frame them around three questions to help us understand what we're supposed to see and where we're supposed to go. Questions of what does this parable teach us about the nature of the kingdom of God? What does it teach us about the values of the kingdom of God? And finally, what does it reveal and what are we being confronted with that causes us to reflect and reconsider? Right before this parable are parables of the sower and the weeds. And these parables have a very different feel to them. They're stern warnings of a life grown apart from Jesus and his kingdom. Our parable this morning offers a little bit of a, a reprieve as it reminds us of the vision, a promised, fully realized kingdom. In it, we see that kingdom citizenship inspires participation. You see, vision and mission statements are good. They remind us of the why behind the what of our work. 
when we go over our mission statement here at Waterstone to be a people empowered by the presence of Jesus Christ to proclaim his kingdom and demonstrate his love, justice, and mercy to our neighbor. These aren't just words that we think sound good. They bring us back to the heart of our calling and they remind us of where we're going. But vision and mission are only impactful if they provoke movement. Have you ever sat in a strategic meeting, a strategic planning meeting, where you're talking about a five-year plan? They bring in consultants. You have talks about here's where we're going and here's the objectives and the trajectory and you have all these meetings and a lot of times these meetings carry with them this intense excitement and enthusiasm. We're ready to go and this sounds great and I can't wait to get there and it's going to be fantastic and that energy when you leave the meeting is high. And then a week later that energy level is still pretty high. And then two weeks later it's like oh my gosh this this feels a little hard because you're being held accountable for something maybe you weren't held accountable for before. And then it gets to be a month later or two months later. And have you ever been in a position where by two months in, if anybody had asked you, okay, what are our strategic points? You go, we have them. <laughs> and they're good. Right? Or maybe... You are someone who decided you really wanted to get in shape. There was something you wanted to start exercising more, eating better, you've got a race you want to do, or you just want to improve your health. And so that first day you're like, alarm goes off, I hop out of bed, I'm ready to go, I'm excited, let's do this. And day three you're like, okay, let's do this. And then by a weekend, your 5.30 alarm is actually your first snooze button. And dinner is drive through or whatever, you can get the fastest when you are on your way home. We start off with plans and vision with really good intention. We really do. We like the idea of looking forward and having something exciting to work towards. We like the idea of having goals and having a plan. We really do want these things to happen. But I think part of the reason why they so often don't is because we don't actually have this guarantee that if we do the work and we stick with it, that it will happen. We hope it will, but we don't know, and so it's easier for us to lose our motivation. It isn't true with the kingdom. It's different. When Jesus shares the vision of this mature mustard plant as a metaphor, he is challenging his readers and his listeners at the time, and he is challenging us to examine our attitude toward the kingdom and our investment in the kingdom. It's going to happen. The kingdom is going to be everything we wanted and more. And because it is a certainty, we have to respond. I see three possible ways we could respond here. First, we could be tempted to respond by discounting or dismissing our small contributions or sometimes the contributions of others as being insignificant to the kingdom. We think that bringing in a couple extra items for the food bank doesn't really matter or choosing to be nice to the neighbor who always just is mean 
that can't make that much of a difference, right? We compare how much we give. We feel guilty if we can only sign up for one item on the needs list. We think an hour serving kids on Sunday once a week, does it really matter? Does it really make a difference in the kingdom? I wanted to show you a quick video to show you what happens when you can give that hour. For those of you who may not know, that's my three-year-old. And as adorable as I think that video is, I had absolutely nothing to do with it. I wasn't the one to teach him that. We didn't sit at home and practice it. But volunteers who've given one hour once a month in our preschool department has taught, have taught that to my child and to all of our preschool kids, and as a result, my three-year-old goes around frequently reminding himself about truths of who God says he is. And he makes sure that everybody who will sit still long enough to listen to him also hears who God says they are. Who knows what God could do with that, right? Sometimes we will listen to simple truths from a child a lot better than we'll listen to it from another adult. Remember, our parable started off by saying the kingdom had small beginnings. Jesus welcomed the children. He praised the widow's might. He fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. The kingdom had small, humble beginnings. Are you letting yourself believe that maybe your humble beginnings your small contributions can't really impact the explosive growth of the kingdom? A second way we might respond is since if God's going to do the work, I don't, I don't really need to get involved, right? We either find ways to disqualify ourselves from kingdom work, or we just don't see the need because, well, if God's going to do it, we're good. We're set. We tell ourselves maybe... I've, I've messed up too many times. God's, God's not going to use me. Or we say, I'm, I'm not that smart, and I don't like talking to large groups of people, and I'll probably say the wrong thing and get it all messed up, so that's, God can't use that. Or we say, oh, my house is it's too small. I didn't clean it today. I can't have people over. We find these ways, or we, we say, we're just too busy. Our schedules are packed. I, we can't do this. We don't have the space for it right now. God doesn't require our assistance or our participation in the kingdom. It's true. This parable doesn't talk about, wow, this farmer did this amazing, incredible thing, and because of it, the plant grew. He didn't say that. But what God does do is he invites us to participate in the kingdom work. And being part of it is transformational. 
A couple weeks ago, in this room, we had VBS, or Vacation Bible School, and part of our VBS time is having kids join our worship crew, and actually a lot of them are sitting in the aisles with you this morning. Now, we don't have to have kids in our worship crew. We have incredibly talented musicians who lead us in worship every week, who commit to being there. We don't have to have these kids here, but we invite them to participate. A lot of these kids are actually still BBS age, so they could come for the week and just enjoy being part of the experience like everybody else. But because of these kids' willingness to give of their time to practice and to lead in worship, we had 300 kids and over 100 adults enter into worship together here. And for some of them, they were doing it for the first time. And for some of them, having the kids up here made it a safe space to worship freely. And I can tell you that even now, weeks later, because of this experience, because of our kids' willingness to be up here, there are families across our community where kids are repeating truths about who God is and who he says they are as they sing the songs over and over again. One of my favorite things is that God's kingdom is not a one-size-fits-all box. Maybe you're not musical. That's okay. Another story I love is hearing of someone who every time a solicitor calls them on the phone or knocks on their door, they always make it a priority to pray for that person before they hang up. Now, I know solicitors, it can be inconvenient and it can be annoying at times, but can you imagine, can you imagine if that person just said every time, oh, someone else, someone else can tell them about Jesus. Someone else can. But because this person is choosing to engage another person in a conversation about Jesus and to pray every time, who knows how many lives are being impacted. Have you turned down opportunities, an invitation to be part of God's kingdom work because you don't think you're qualified or because you don't think he needs you? A final way for us to respond would be with a simple, I'm all in. Yes, here we go. This coming week, we're going to celebrate the 4th of July. In the midst of fireworks and food, we are going to be remembering, first and foremost, the men and women who said, yes, I'm all in to the call to serve. A lot of you are sitting in this room this morning, and we are grateful for you. We are grateful for your willingness to say, I'm here, and I'm willing to serve, protect, defend our country so that we can enjoy the freedom that we have. Now, none of us expects a single service member to complete the task on their own. They're one part of our military. They're one part of what we do to protect our freedom here. But they are important. If you are sitting in this room today and you are a service member, either current or past, what you do matters. 
It's important. We're grateful. Your willingness to say, I'm all in, matters. Church, it matters when you say yes to the kingdom. When we truly understand that the good news of Jesus is a forever kingdom that is both coming and already here, when we understand it's an opportunity that's too great to miss, we lose this idea of, but what about, or I'm not really, and we say, I'm all in. When we have awe at the fact that the same God who designed this kingdom has invited us to be part of it right here, right now, it overcomes the excuses and we choose to say yes to the kingdom, however we can. In a chapter in a book called The Storytelling God, author Jared Wilson writes, the gospel is always scaled to eternity even in our lean seasons and times of suffering. Eternal life means exactly that, eternal. Declared from the foundation of the world, promised in the covenant, secured by the incarnated and crucified and risen and glorified and ascended and reigning and returning Son, granted by the Holy Spirit, guaranteed in heaven where no moth or rust can destroy, foreknown by the Father, Merited by the Son and sealed by the Spirit, there is eternity written in the Christian's heart so that he will find it out. If you are in Christ, you have that life now. God painted a vision of what his kingdom will be when it grows up, and he wants you to look forward to that day and be all in today. While other parables paint pictures of consequences of not being in the kingdom, this parable is an invitation to say yes. And just as Jesus invites us to be part of his kingdom work, he also invites us to the table to remember what he has done to make our inclusion of his kingdom possible. You see, Jesus' invitation to the kingdom is that he came. He came to take what was broken and make it new. Not out here, not in the world at large, but in our hearts. And he invites you to experience that today and if you have said yes to that, he welcomes you to his table. Today, as we pray and hear the words of institution, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've said yes to his kingdom, we invite you to move to the stations around the room to receive the elements. For those of you who need gluten-free items, we have that at the center station in the back. I'm going to pray, and as I do, I'd ask you to stop and think, have I said yes? To the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your promise of its coming, your invitation for us to participate in it now. God, help us to take that step to say yes and to be all in with you and for you and because of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.